brought to you by Prep Matters and the book, What Do You Say? How to Talk with Kids to Build Motivation, Stress Tolerance, and a Happy Home. I think one thing that can be helpful is checking in as a, as a family of like, how does your child want support? Because they may just want you to listen to them when they have, you know, challenges, they may not want your advice. Right. And so there's a difference between being a support person and being somebody who gives advice. How important are standardized tests? Why isn't my child doing well in school? Do you need a high school diploma to apply to Harvard? Education is one of our most cherished institutions, but it can also be one of our most exasperating. And it's where almost all of our children go from toddlers learning their ABCs to critically thinking adults stepping out into the world. I talk with experts in helping teens and tweens navigate the transition to adulthood in order to bring you the tools you need to help grow resilient, self-driven, and successful young adults. I'm Ned Johnson, and this is Prep Talks. My guest today is Dr. Aviva Leggett, the author of Get Real and Get In, How to Get Into the College of Your Dreams by Being Your Authentic Self. Dr. Aviva Leggett is the founder of Ivy Insight, a leading college admissions consulting firm. She teaches in organizational dynamics at the University of Pennsylvania and remotely through Coursera. Dr. Leggett has appeared in numerous print and digital outlets discussing college admissions, and she writes a column on issues in higher education for Forbes. Her new book, Get Real and Get In, came out on August 3rd. So welcome. Welcome. I'm really excited to talk about your book. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, Ned. And um, I'm really happy to talk about this. There's a, there's a lot in here and we won't, uh, we won't cover every aspect of it, but that's why people have to buy the book. Um, but let's start with why did you write this book now? So, um, you know, why I wrote this book now, uh, honestly, I, you know, it's one of those uh, books that is what it was sort of life inspired. So I think I could have written it at any time. And in fact, I got my publication deal at the end of 2019 and I had six months to write the book. And then of course, in that period, COVID happened. And <laughs> a few changes. Right, yeah. And right before that, right before I got my book deal, the college admission scandal happened. So a lot of changes has ha have happened on this book journey, but I think that the, the message of my book really transcends anytime that students may find themselves in this college process. Uh, so the book mm -hmm. is really inspired by my story and my experience working with students, as well as my interviews with different thought leaders. And essentially what I learned from my college process is that, you know, this is a very transformative journey in the fact that I didn't have a lot of help. I was in this very high achieving environment and I was really struggling. Um, and because due to that struggle, I sort of hunkered down and tried to figure out like, what is this whole college thing? And I tried decoding it and I went through all these different steps to, um, you know, make the best of a ch the challenging situation I was in. I did get stressed out enough to get pneumonia right before applications were due, which is not something I'd recommend. But what I, <laughs> what Exquisite I, timing. Yeah, exactly. But what I took away was, you know, really that, that experience of focusing my efforts, figuring out what colleges fit me, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to study. That was a really important journey to me. And it stuck with me even after I was lucky to get into NYU because I don't know mm -hmm. what I would have done if I didn't. Um, but uh, I'm after, sure there's a plan B. <laughs> well, at the time, there was a there was a very limited plan B. It was mm -hmm. go to Rutgers or, or uh, that was it. That was the plan B. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. So um, 
yeah it so when after I got to NYU though you know it, it's not like you have a dream school you get in and like everything is hunky-dory and that right. was especially true for me in my freshman year because I was a freshman in 2001 September 2001 what happened in New York another curious time to be alive yeah so it was another difficult time just much like the the kids who are alive today are experiencing and um it was it was a hard way to start out college and um it just you know forced me to rethink what I really wanted yet again Uh, so I had a bunch of internships as a music business major and just felt like it, it wasn't a fit but I got really involved in college and found my community there and felt inspired to go into this field of higher ed which hmm. I learned is what you know admissions people do they they're in this higher ed field so that's what inspired me to come to Penn and Wharton for my master's and doctorate degree in mm-hmm. the subject of higher ed and I served on the admissions committee for the Wharton school where I worked with freshmen and transfer apps and uh, oversaw pre-college programs hmm. so at the end of my doctoral program, I had a choice to stay in my position or, you know, consider doing something else. So I decided to you know, go with this pipe dream I had around mm-hmm. the college process, building up from my own passion for it, um, from my experience on the business committee and my higher ed degree. I thought, okay, well, now I really have all the qualifications. Let me go for it. And I've done that. I've been doing this for, for seven years and probably working on the book almost as long as mm-hmm. I've out of the the higher ed uh the traditional higher ed field um but really it's been building for a very long time ever since i was a kid love it love it now you you mentioned your uh your, your time uh in in admissions um you know on the other side of the desk for as people talk about uh working in the college side rather than the the kids side helping kids get into those colleges um and you mentioned the, the kind of a, a paradox that's really at the heart of the book that you call the the impressiveness paradox that when kids try to be impressive or look impressive they actually look artificial the opposite of impressive or authentic can you explain that paradox and and you know why it's so important and and, and how students can navigate that. Absolutely. So I know there's a lot of pressure out there and I I hear this all the time with the kinds of questions that I get about what, you know, what should I participate in and how should I spend my time? And in the absence of guidance, a lot of people just make those decisions based on what they think works or what they think admissions wants to see based on some friend or some cousin they know who got into, you know, XYZ school that they want to go to. <laughs> I picture reading 20, 27 wildly original uh, college application essays and then mimic, mimicking one of those like, OK, that'll help. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so people end up in this kind of mimicry pattern where they are simply going through the motions that somebody else took or maybe a conglomeration of people took and mm-hmm. it ends up being not them. And then their applications mm. are lackluster because they are trying to be impressive, but they're actually not diving in deeply enough into what they're doing. So mm. It's so that's the, that's the challenge uh, that kids have is like, it's, you know, and, and, and I really feel for kids because admissions is really opaque. I'm, you know, I would love for admissions offices to be more transparent about their criteria and how they make decisions. But in the absence of that, people are left to kind of like figure it out, just like I did when I was applying to kind of figure out, figure your way through it. And, um, that a lot of people default to just mimicking. Well, I think, and I think there are two really good points in there. One was um, we had as a guest, uh, Jeff Salinga, who's terrific book, Who Gets In and Why, um, makes the point that, that you do uh, in your book as well, that colleges, each college has its own institutional priorities 
which <laughs> also can change on a yearly basis. So, so the idea that you can figure out what a college wants is really kind of is really a fool's errand. Um, in that we can never really know, and in many ways they may want. You know, what do the colleges want from me? Well, they want everything, but they don't necessarily, as I understand it, they don't really want everything from one person. Kind of, you know, you do you and I'll do me. And and we'll, and, and and if what I'm doing is really true to me and meaningful to the college, then then we're in a good place. Is that fair? Right. Absolutely. So one of I I love Jeff Salingo's book, by the way, and, and mm-hmm. hopefully he and I will be, you know, we're planning on connecting over the coming weeks on our books. Um cool. But in any case, um, the I have a section in my book that's about that that very thing, as you said, priorities. And I do have a framework for that. Now, it's not a perfect framework that's going to tell you exactly how the college is going to read your application, right. but it's right. a way for you as the applicant in the absence of insider information to get to inside the heads of these colleges because they they do throw out yeah. clues out there about what they're looking for. So mm-hmm. I try to give you where you can find some of those clues. So I talk about looking at the university's mission statement or their motto. It gives you a sense of the culture of the school. I talk about going on the individual academic department websites, looking at what the faculty members are doing, how they structure their academics to look at how that fits you. Um, I also talk about the strategic plan, which is like, you know, this kind of of dry document that colleges mm-hmm. have that you know you would read it and be like what is this but you know, it has you know different pillars that they're looking for so hey we're looking to grow community action for example we're looking to grow global engagement whatever the case may be and then if you have aspects of your background that fit into those buckets those are the buckets of your own that you can emphasize in your application so mm-hmm. that you can um, try to match yourself to priorities. Uh, another way to learn about the priorities is simply just networking with people at the college. So I'm not necessarily talking about um, your regional admissions officer going on a tour. All of that is valuable, but it doesn't necessarily give you, the student, a sense of how you belong on the campus. So by reaching out to individual resources and talking to those resources, you can start to really envision yourself on that campus. So if you're a writer, for example, talk to the writing center and find out about the kinds of programs they have. Maybe there's one that you could sit in on, or maybe there's a, something even for high school students. Some of the colleges have outreach programs on the you know resource center level, like a writing center, or even on the cultural center level. Um, so, you know, if you're, uh, you know, black, Latino, Asian, Jewish, there's all these different kinds of resource centers that you can go to tap into and get some insight about the college. So I highly encourage all students and families to look at their college search more deeply than they're accustomed to doing. Don't just say, you know, I get a lot of questions all, you know, oh, what, what colleges should I visit? I'm going to be in, in Florida. You know, what colleges should I see? And it's like, yeah, that's nice to see a campus and kind of get a sense of what the buildings are like, but it's not going to tell you how you're going to belong there. So you really, you really got to do some deep diving before you even you know, bother visiting college. And you may not have to visit at all if you can get enough information in these other ways. And I think it's important to emphasize that this is not doing deep research to figure out how do I twist myself into a particular mold to fit this tiny little niche that I perceive that the college is trying to fill, but rather knowing knowing who I am, knowing what what I have to contribute, is that is 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 that something that will is this a college where those needs or those skills are um, are valued right now? 
but also I think at a personal level, is there a place for me? Right. Yeah. That's such a good point. And it's really, you know, kind of both. And so, you know, there is a degree of, um, making an impression, right. That do when they apply. So there is a, there is a certain spin or a certain narrative and, you know, you do have to cater to your audience, but more importantly, before you apply, you have to think about, you know, what you really want to do and how you can maximize that before you apply and then find the colleges that will really value that. So for example, I have a student right now who is really interested in global health and um, her parents or her community, because she's in the Bay Area, it's it's kind of like, oh, I should do something in tech, I should do something in tech. And so then she naturally is like, well, what about Stanford? Because that'd be unique doing tech in the Bay Area. That'd be, you know, your special angle. Yeah, it's so <laughs> such a vibe there though. And in Seattle too, it's like everybody thinks they have to do something with tech, even if that's not what they what they want. And so I said, you know, you know, there's other colleges that would really value your global health experience more so than Stanford because Stanford doesn't even have any kind of global health major. So it's, you know, even though it's a great college, you don't necessarily just want to pick that one as your top choice because, you know, it's it's got a name in a certain way. So um, it's really, it's a really hard barrier for people to overcome because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot embedded in these names, right? And significance for families, but it's really, really important to dissect that significance for yourself versus the overall sort of emotional resonance of the name. So how do, how do folks, how, how do you advise kids who you feel are kind of falling into that trap? They're going down the slippery slope of what do colleges want from me? I'll do, I'll do anything to be the person that they want, knowing that one, that's not such a good thing for them personally and, and emotionally, but also as, as we were talking a moment ago, it, it doesn't ring authentic. So how do we, how do we, how do we hold that tension? How do we resolve that paradox? How do we help kids um, pay attention to and really lean into where what their natural or authentic interests and, and abilities are? Right. It's such a good question. So I think for for kids that are college bound, you know, it's important to keep in mind if college is your goal, some of your goals need to be shaped inherently by. The college and what they are, you know, what colleges are looking for. And I would say as a general rule of thumb, and you can find this on the website, Making Caring Common, which is, you may know about it. It's a collective of admissions officers. And I don't think a lot of people know about it, especially students and families, but essentially they're saying up front, you know, hey, we want caring, empathetic kids. We want service-oriented kids who care about things more than just their own well-being right so they colleges in general are putting that message out there so knowing that how do you maximize the time you have in high school to make the best impact you can and to become a good person both of which i think are good things so i have a framework and unfortunately i didn't come up with it in time for it to make the book but i'll share it with you now um, people think about it. So it's called the College Admissions X Factors, I call it. And that stands for experience, expertise, and exponentialism. So experience is that initial exposure that you can get as a student to a topic or an idea to see how it resonates with you, how you like it. The second level of the X Factor is expertise. So let's say you find something that resonates with you. Uh, then you go, you do a deeper dive into an aspect of it. 
So for example, if you're interested in engineering, um, but you don't, you have a sense of the general areas, but you don't know exactly what you want to do, you pick one area that seems especially interesting. And let's say you do a research project on that area. So then you start to develop that expertise. You can use that research paper to grow your impact and influence in general from that paper. So you could, for example, um, you know, improve on that paper, collaborate with a professor, get it published in a bigger publication. You could start an engineering club at your school. You could, um, like one of my students did, he makes uh, prosthetic uh, limbs for, for people who need them. And you could deliver, uh, you know, an arm or a leg to somebody mm -hmm. who need. And that could be something that you created, which I think is very inspiring as well. So it's all about, you know, not being afraid to get that initial exposure mm -hmm. and then deepening that expertise. And then the exponentialism piece, that's the impact. So that's what I'm talking about, like going and giving out that, that arm that you made mm -hmm. um, or publishing something on a grand scale, starting a, a platform or community. So uh, doing something and being a person that wants to benefit many other people through the knowledge and experience that you've developed. A lot of kids fail to do that. They just show up and check the boxes. They do, you know, hundred volunteer hours, go to the model United Nations meeting, go to the yearbook meeting, write a couple articles for a newspaper. And they think, Oh, I have, have a well-rounded, um, profile for college. And mm -hmm. I'm not knocking any of those activities, mm -hmm. by the way, I want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is that a lot of people don't go beyond that. They just show up, go through the motions, and then they don't really develop any understanding of what they might like to do in their college years. And then yeah. when they get to college, they're, they struggle. They, you know, people change majors a bunch of times, which isn't necessarily bad, but it could lead to people not graduating on time. It could lead to taking out more loans or having to, you know, pay for college beyond or just having lost time. So by focusing on, you know, developing your X factor in high school, which really comes down to what's in my book, figuring out who you are and what you want, you're really going to save yourself a lot of time and pain along the way. And you're going to ideally impact a lot of people in a positive way. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, figuring out who you are and what you want. Two things come to mind for me. Um, you know, in the work that I do with um, Dr. William Stixer in our book, The Self-Driven Child, we are really concerned about the incidence of, of stress-related disorders of anxiety and depression in, in adolescents, and it gets even worse in college. As you know, there's that big study out of Boston University that, that a survey of 30,000 undergrads, 60% of them endorsed symptoms of anxiety or major depression. I know you, you have kids who, who've gone to college, even though they're super high achieving and struggle a little bit. Um, and so it sure, you know, it sure seems to me that part of this process of figuring out who you are um, is really useful, one, to, you know, position yourself to gain admissions to college, but also to kind of carry you through, um, to, to riff on the point for a moment, we know in psychology, there's the idea of an internal locus of control versus an external locus of control. And so an external is like, you know, I'll do anything. I'll be whoever you want for you to date me. And it's like, well, that's not going to be the foundation of a healthy relationship, Ned. Um, and, and to do that for college, it, you know, the way I look at it is that to think of high school as a four-year addition for college may not be the most healthy thing as opposed to, and I think you talk about this in some really nice ways in the book, of four years of developing yourself as a person, of figuring out who you are, 
some of it with an eye towards college, but gosh, not every waking moment with an eye towards college. So for parents who might be listening, who have kids, you know, who are just kind of going through the motions, they're not doing stuff yet. And I think the keyword there is yet, that's really profound. So how do we help young people who, uh, they, the college is kind of what they think they should do or want to do, but they haven't found that spark yet. They haven't found that key interest. Can, can you talk to that a little bit? Sure. I think it's really hard, you know, because kids are getting so many messages. They're getting messages from their parents about what they should do. They're getting messages from sometimes teachers or counselors about what they should do. And they see what their friends do. And it can be hard when you're developing and discovering yourself to make sense of all of that. Right. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Well, I think just even the awareness that this, all this noise is out there is a really good step to know that, you know, you have all these messages that are coming at you, but you don't necessarily need to um, internalize and act on all of these messages right. about what you should do. So I think one is just being aware that there's a lot of people who are interested in what happens to you, but they're not you. So mm-hmm. that's number, yeah, yeah. number two, again, I know I mentioned my X factor framework. I really believe that, you know, if you dive into something, then you can, even if you don't like it, that's still insight about who you are. Okay. I don't like that because you know, engineering, I don't like so so ex, so exposed so exploring it trying and going yeah not for me and then you pivot moving in another direction right exactly okay. you have a chance to move in another direction if you if you wade into the water more then you really yeah. know because you know not everything that you do every day is going to make you happy all the time but if you really right. want something you're going to work on it despite that. So if mm-hmm. you like something enough, you're going to stick through the bad stuff. But if you just, you know, write it off because it's a little bit hard, that's not necessarily good criteria, but there mm-hmm. has to be, you know, thinking about kind of a bigger goal for things, right. Beyond um, just the experience. So I've had a student, for example, who just loves basketball and, but didn't, um, you know, didn't start out playing basketball, but is yeah. you know, essentially has an athletes, you know, a, a recruited athletes schedule, but he's missing out on developing these other things because his schedule is just so busy with basketball. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not that that's not a valid and important interest, but it's just a matter of like, what's the role of basketball and moving you forward as a person and as a student, Um, you know, it obviously does have a good role and it sounds like a great stress reliever and a great social opportunity, but how is it also helping you um, figure out what you want to do and um, how are you developing these other facets of yourself that are really interesting that you dropped or minimized just because this is taking up so much time. So. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll just, just to, to, to argue another perspective on it, um, you know, from uh, I often see students, you probably see the same thing too, who um, are encouraged to drop an activity that they really like. Um, you know, th- this young man may not be, may, may not be call it may not be, you know, NBA level. He may not even end up going to, uh, you know, may not even play at the college level, but um from an, uh, for folks to have everything for for any young person to be working hard at something to get better and better and better is awfully good for development right because you're developing your own your intrinsic motivation you're getting that flow experience um and it seems to me that that for every kid, it's super useful to have something that they look forward to every day, right? You know, I can't wait for the practice after school. That'll get me through this dreary history class, class studying something that I don't, don't care about. Um, because I just want to, I want to, I want to keep, keep on this point for a moment. In many ways, your, your book is, is, um, 
to, this may be my reading, correct me if I have this wrong, but it feels like it speaks, it speaks really nicely, really clearly to kind of highly achieving, really driven kids who are, who kind of dare to dream big, you know, kind of go, go big or go home. But there are a lot of kids who aren't there yet. They haven't figured out their binding passion. They are kind of doing school, right? You know, they're as into playing video games as they are to doing their homework. And, I, you know, I, I love the framework of, of, and you, I'd love to talk a, a little bit more about this of to try to pay attention to what it is that you like, because I am concerned. And again, this is the work that I do with Bill Stickshoot of giving the message to kids. And you talked about this at Princeton high school, right? What was your line that, that at PHS, there was this overarching belief that attending a top college was your only way to gain success in life. And the idea that um, you have to go to one of those schools, we know, of course, is not supported by, by statistics or reality or, or lived experience. Um, and, you know, I want people, if they're, if they're listening to this, to think about, um, one, not to be afraid that if their kids aren't on a path that they're highly driven, where they go to NYU or, or someplace like that, that, that how do we as parents not feel afraid about this and kind of be on top of our kids in a way that kind of messes up our relationships with them, but to really risk undermining the, their own intrinsic motivation. Um, that being said, we don't want a kid to do nothing but play video games, right? Because that, because this is, this is such an important time of adolescence and we want kids I'll go back to the basketball guy. We want kids to work hard at getting better at something. And in a perfect world, part of that includes their academics. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that, that not everyone is really academically driven. So you have this, this thing, I think it's the beginning of chapter one, chapter two, I don't remember, about remember when you were a child. Can you walk through that? Because I thought that was really lovely because you, you made something a minute ago for people who are college bound. And we know not everyone's college bound, right? And, and so can you just talk about that? Because I, I really think that's a nice thing for us to think about because that reflecting on ourselves can be really helpful to be this authentic self and point your energy in the direction and, and have the X factors and go off to Dartmouth. And or if you don't, still paying attention to those things is helpful to help kids develop themselves to, to build the lives that they want. So, so a big setup, but, but, but yeah, uh, no, I'd love to talk about that. So, I mean, essentially uh, my book, as you, as you can see in my work, you know, I work with a lot of these high achieving kids that want to go yeah. to colleges, but I'm not saying in my book that that's the only way, because a lot of the people in these environments that are geared to that, you know, may not thrive at these institutions. You know, right. you talked about it earlier, right? And I, I cite the book, um, What Made Maddie Run, um, mm -hmm. by and that was all about the young lady at, at Penn um, who, you know, had an unfortunate demise due to, you know, all kinds of mysterious factors, but right. likely due to the stress and pressure, right? right. And, and the internalizing of that. So, you know, in terms of going back to, you know, who we are as kids, that's a really great way to, Put some joy into what we're doing on the day to day so that we're not checking the boxes, but we're actually doing things that are meaningful, intentional. So the, you know, the basketball guy, I think doing basketball is, is a great thing to do, right? For your mental health, for sociability. Um, and also it is an exploratory um, tool as well, because, you know, he's considering a career in sports medicine, right? So right. This, oh, interesting. This is a great, right. This is a great platform, right? Yeah. Um, so it's going back to, so I would say that that section is really targeted to people who 
are just feeling really lost with the check, checking of the boxes. They're just going through the motions of high school, but they're not really living high school and they don't know how to figure out their interests. So what I talk about is, um, you know, a kid who loves to ride roller coasters, right? So the kid mm-hmm. loves roller coasters, wants to ride them all day, um, wants to, you know, go to the amusement park, watches it. So then maybe that's like an interest in, you know, groups, or maybe that's an interest in engineering. Um, there could be any, you know, not every, you know, interest needs to lead to a career, but maybe there's a, a series of steps that you could take to explore that a little bit right. more. Right, right, right. To try to think about, um, try to think about what really lights you up. So what is it about that roller coaster riding that just gets you really excited? Um, is it, you know, again, is it the motion? Is it the, the, you know, being surrounded by family? Is it being surrounded by strangers? Is it the, you know, the lights or, or something? So there's, there's something that ignites everybody's passion in some way. And it's really hard to find what that is with all the noise that we have in our, in our world. So that's my suggestion around the kid, the kid going back to who you are as a kid is really helpful for people who just feel like, you know what, I'm not finding my interests and, you know, I need some guidance. So definitely go back to that kid. And I would say, you know, you can do something like journal or if, if it makes sense for you to talk to your parents about some of your favorite memories, if you're having trouble remembering some of those things, because some people have a really good memory for their childhood and other people just yeah, forget, yeah. forget it. Right. Sure, so, yeah. 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 So, so it can be good to think about that. And also like, think about if you've done really fun things over the summers um, growing up that you really enjoyed. That's a lot of times where kids have, you know, really good memories of being out of right. school, going to camp, <laughs> summer or camp, vacation. Or something like that and there might be there might have been something there so if you you know for example traveled with mom and dad to a, a foreign country maybe you were the one that came up with all the directions and the itinerary and then there's something in that right that you can uh-huh. think about maybe it's something in um you know where you want to be a, a time manager or a project manager mm-hmm. for a club or something like that so it's there's a lot of cool skills and interests that you automatically kind of develop as a child without thinking about anything. And that's oftentimes where you should go when you're in a more goal-oriented place, like many high school students are who would be reading this book. Well, I think that, I think that there are two points in there that I like to touch on. One is that paying attention to those things of, of you know, you, you have a natural facility for, you know, organizing things and, and, and working plans and, you know, project management, you know, when, to, to identify those as skills that have not that much to do with, you know, pre-calculus or, you know, French or, you know, what, what have you. Because school can feel like it's such a narrow process, we don't, you know, most kids, it would be hard pressed to really think about more than a dozen careers. But of course, once we're on the other side of it, we, we know that there are. Um, and so to pay attention to is my partner, Bill says, you know, what are things that you're better at than most people? And I think a lot of kids feel like they have to be the best at it. Well, that's, that's a terrible place to be because then as soon as you find one person who's better, like cross that off the list where you just have to be, you know, Ken Robinson talks about the element. What do you love to do that you're better at than most people? Um, so that this, this identifying our interests and our skills is something that helps, you know, direct us towards colleges and programs and organize how we spend our time there as part of the process of developing ourselves. In that in that same chapter, you're talking about if you, oh, you made the point about talking to your, your parents and maybe there, maybe put things to them. 
And you had a really nice suggestion about looking for an advisor who might be an aunt, an uncle, a coach, you know, pastor, someone who isn't necessarily mom and dad, who, who loves you and is interested in you, but may not have quite as many hopes and dreams and really obligations and expectations sort of on your shoulders. Um, and I know every parent who listens to this said, I would never do that. Well, here's just my little take on this. A lot of times kids, uh, in my experience, and I've, I'm sure I've screwed this up myself as well, our, my son or daughter will say, well, I, I want to do this or want to do that. And it, in my head or in our parents, it seems like a terrible idea. And we lean in with things like, well, well why do you want to do that? Which, which, if we're honest with ourselves, is not really in the spirit of inquiry. It's really an, it's an accusation with a, with a question mark at the end. So it looks like it's a question, right? But I think it has the effect of shutting things down. And so one of the things that I imagine that you get to do and makes your job so fun is that you're all about the kid's success, right? But you don't have a dog in this fight, right? So do you have other suggestions for parents who are trying to help their kids explore their interests, but, but, but so that they can do it in a way that isn't sort of a wet blanket and smothering these little fl flickers or flames of, of dreams that are trying to kindle themselves? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, my kids are really little, so I'm speaking as somebody who's observed, um, right. observed parents of right. teens. And but I should have said, I, when your kids, I mean, you're the kids you work with, you know, because I, yeah. I always think about them as my kids, you know, my students. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, both, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, no, but I think about, about my role as a parent as well, um, as my children are getting older. And, um, you know, it's it's really hard. I think one thing that can be helpful is checking in as a, as a family of like, how does your child want support? Because they may just want you to listen to them when they have, you know, challenges. They may not want your advice, right? And so there's a difference between being a support person and being somebody who gives advice. And even mm -hmm. if you have great advice, it may or may not be wise to share it with them. Um, <laughs> and the timing of that advice also needs to be considered. And I know I'm going to struggle with this when I, when my kids are teens, because, mm -hmm. you know, people essentially hire me to give advice. I love giving advice, right? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it's, it's harder when it's your kid, because you have to really pay attention to what, how they respond in these situations. So I think right. sitting down as a family, making some kind of plan or gaining a better understanding at least of where your child is at and how they would like to be supported in this college process would be helpful because then you could either provide the resource whether that's a connection to somebody or um, an introduction to somebody or just stepping back and just say you know you could also just say like you know hey if I'm not involved I would love to, I really want to check in with you can we just make a plan to check in at these points right, right, right. I don't think that would be unreasonable for most people right if you're giving yeah, yeah. them a license to kind of go about this themselves or go about this in their own way, then, you know, you, you'll hopefully be able to build a good rapport and be involved in a way that's mutually agreeable for both of you. So I think mm -hmm. that's the key is like, I think a lot of parents, like, I mean, and understandably too, because, you know, as parents, we put a lot on the line for our kids. So it's natural, I think, to feel that entitlement in some way over yep. their plans or have expectations. But the reality is like our children are their own people and we can't, put those expectations on them because if they're misaligned, then we're going to create a lot of problems, not only for them, but for ourselves and our relationship with them. So right. it's really, really important to get to know your child and observe them as independent from any expectations you may have, and then support them in getting the support that they want to seek out during this time. And I think it's an excellent point. I mean, Bill and I had a piece in the New York Times 
maybe three years ago, uh, came out in Thanksgiving and, and, and it talked about the half dozen or so folks we knew who had started college and returned from college to stay maybe two months in. And that's a heck of a way to spend 20, 30, 40, 50, $70,000 of somebody's money. And all of these kids had really, they'd had the experience of not really running their own lives enough, really not making their own decisions. Because as much as I want my kid to go to, you know, Stanford up there, um, if that's not what, 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 what they want to do, then they're not going to, they're not going to have to own it. Right. And so it's, it's painful, right? Because as parents, we think we know best, but at the end of the day, it's not our, it may be our money, but it's not our lives. Right. And so, you know, to support kids, um, but not make them do things because that, uh, it works great short, short term, long term, it's kind of a, kind of a disaster. Right. And this time is so critical for parents and kids because this is like that transition between childhood and adulthood. It's that transitional period. And yeah. so this is a really critical time for families to, you know, shore up the challenges in their relationships too, yeah. because this is like the time that that's uh, critical for you to be working together as sort of yeah. the last last one of the last pushes sort of to adulthood so you want to make that as constructive as possible well so right you know we have for us as parents to think of ourselves as consultants rather than managers and of course that's again that what would you do as a counselor that you were kind of you work for the kid right i mean it's my job to help but it's not my job to make you do this and so for my kids again 17 and 19 i i have to recognize that i'm going to have a much longer relationship with them as adults who are my children rather than as children who are my children, right? And if I want to be effective, I need to, I can offer them advice, I can offer them support, but I can't force it down their throats in part because they'll throw it right back up in me. But also if I'm in charge of things going well, then they're really not prepared for college or real life because they really need to feel that you know, yeah, the, I, I want, I would like them to listen to my perspective on it, but I really need them to feel like they're, they're in charge and I'm here to help rather than the other way around. Yeah. So let me ask one last thing. Um, you talk about, uh, let's see, get this right. Uh, uh, ikigai. Ikigai, yeah. I love this. I've never heard this term before. Can you just talk through that for just a minute? Yeah, sure. So ikigai is essentially a term that is, summarizing your true calling. So why you're here. So it's yeah. all about, you know, what you're good at, what people need mm -hmm. and where you, and what makes you happy. So those are the three essences of the Ikigai um, that you, you know, that, that speak to what that is. So finding your true calling is obviously would be an amazing feat for anybody. You may not find that in high school, but um, working towards finding that calling is in and of itself a higher calling than just going through the motions of high school. So, um, so that's a good guy. And that's where your true calling lies because, you know, something can make you happy all day long, but it may not be your calling if no one else is happy, but you, I mean, playing, <laughs> games, right? playing video games is fun. And, you know, you can do that a little bit with other people, but without that, that, that larger connection, for what you're doing to other people, you know, it's not, it doesn't have much meaning uh, beyond the task itself. So um, it's a really important step. And you, you know, even though it's, it's high school, it may feel like, oh, it's just a stop on the way to college. It's really an important time uh, because you're, you are becoming an adult and you are capable of 
making these decisions that lead you to finding that calling if you haven't found it yet? Well, I think, I think that's, I think that's lovely. There's a, there's a, um, I think he's from Finland, maybe Sweden, named Frank Martella, who has a line something like, the meaning of life is doing things, doing work that is meaningful to you, that makes you meaningful to other people, right? And I suspect that you and I get some of the same joys that your work and my work is all about helping young people figure out what they want to do and helping them on the steps that get them towards the things that matter to them. Uh, and from my perspective, that's the whole joy and purpose and challenge of being a parent as well. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll end with, I, again, I thank you so much for joining us uh, on this. It's been, I really enjoyed this conversation. There's, there's a, a last line in your book that I just want to, to emphasize because um, the college admissions process at this point, as you know, is getting more and more nutty. Uh, you know, Keel Bella, who's the director of, of advocacy and advancement at, at Fairtest, uh, has this lovely term. He said, they're, they're really not highly selective colleges. They're highly rejective colleges, and it's 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 kind of crazy making. Lots of people have said it, but you say this in a really succinct way, simply that your life amounts to so much more than where you go to college. And so, for someone who's had the broad experience as a college counselor, to be able to remind all of us of this, you know, educators and students and parents, is a really is a really important message. So, I, I, I'm grateful for you to uh, to deliver that and and, and help us go through this process, ideally with success, but more importantly, with the relationships and our sanity intact. <laughs> Thanks. I, I totally agree. I really hope that uh, this book can inspire a different way of thinking about college and about the high school experience so that it can be lived with more joy and greater purpose as well. More joy and greater purpose. That's a, a perfect place to end. Dr. Aviva Leggett, her book is Get Real and Get In, How to Get Into the College of Your Dreams by Being Your Authentic Self. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Prep Talks. Please subscribe to us for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.